What's up, podcast? Thanks for coming back to another episode of Hospitality TV. Uh, before we get into today's episode, I just want to take a quick moment to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to this. Uh, it is primarily directed to those of us in the hospitality industry. Uh, obviously, hopefully, there are a lot of things here that can dip into other industries and be useful there as well. Um, but, you know, I'm really trying to connect with as many people in the industry as possible. This podcast is for you. So I would love to hear your feedback comments, concerns, suggestions for other interviewees, um, I'll hear all of it. Uh, the easiest way to contact me is probably on Instagram, at HospitalaTV. You can DM me there. Uh, Facebook works as well. Um, either of those ways. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. If you're in San Diego, we recently started a Facebook group called Next Level SD. Um, it is a group that we put together to try to do more localized events, whether they be educational or networking. Uh, we've had some pretty pretty cool people roll through here already, uh, like Bobby Stuckey and an ambassador for Ramos Pinto Port Wines and you know local master sommelier Joshua Orr giving us um, some different educational classes. So it's been really cool. I've been making it a point to get as many people as I can from different restaurants to these events so that you can meet new people. I think that's probably one of the most important aspects of this whole thing is networking and meeting new people, hearing new ideas, what people are into. Um, it's certainly been helpful for me in my career. So we're trying to do that to you guys. So uh, check out the group, you know, join it. And, you know, that way you can be aware of some of the next events that we have going on. Uh, so dipping into today's episode. The guest today is Executive Chef Jason McLeod. He is the Executive Chef for the Consortium Holdings Group, um, of which the restaurant that I work at is a part of, born and raised in San Diego. Um, obviously, several different concepts as well, such as Craft and Commerce, Ironside's uh, one of the big ones, um, Polite Provisions, Neighborhood Downtown. Uh, I think they're up to 13 or 14 right now, so there's a bunch. Um, I've been really looking forward to doing this podcast with him. Um, so many good things to talk about when it comes to Chef Jason. Um, one of the few I'll throw out there quickly, he is incredibly capable at managing several different openings of restaurants at the same time and still able to give you the time of day to listen to you and be empathetic and compassionate about any concerns you might have regarding your job, no matter what position you hold in his restaurants, um, which I've found has been an incredible talent. Just the, uh, the level of emotional intelligence that's displayed is, you know, really something to, uh, to envy and, and to learn from. So that's honestly one of the biggest things that, that I've taken from Chef. But apart from that, we dip into a lot of different uh, strategies and topics here, you know, advice for young chefs and um, you know, the level of intensity that used to exist in certain kitchens and whether that's necessary now or not to produce great results um, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of really good things on this episode. Please let me know what you think about it. Um, and last but not least, Chef Jason is about to put out his own podcast, Jason's Shitty Chef Driven Podcast. It's a tongue twister. It took me a couple times. I'm going to say it one more time. Jason's Shitty Chef Driven Podcast. You need to check it out. I am sure it's going to crush. He's partnering up with Callaway Golf. Um, he's had some amazing guests on his podcast. So before you go any further, stop what you're doing. Get on Instagram. Follow his account because he's about to release it uh, in about 10 days from when this is being aired. So check it out. And as always, please give us some support and come follow Hospitality TV on Instagram and Facebook. See you later. Enjoy the podcast. 
What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Hospitality TV. This is episode 19. Today, we're again in San Diego, born and raised, home based with Ironside Chef, also known as Chef Jason McLeod. How are you today, sir? Great, Ralph. Thanks for having me. That's of pretty course, cool. 19 episodes. 19 already, Good yeah? Good for you. I nice can't... work. Thank you. Thank I'll you. Tell you. This is a lot of setup, and I, all you people out there, you got to see this. The Rafa puts it together. Yeah, we, we make it happen. Nice. <laughs> we're Good another for you. A lot of trial and error. A lot of uh, mistakes, you know, but we learn and we're, we're getting there. I think that's part of the kind of neat thing about the podcasting and the storytelling is that you can kind of grow with it and kind of let it rip. Totally. You know, there's not, you kind of make your own rules when you go. Right. So I, I think you're doing great stuff and I really appreciate thank you having me on. Oh my God. Thank you so much. I know we've been talking about doing this for a while yeah. too. So thanks for your patience. Absolutely. Um, so for those of you who don't know, this is the executive chef for the Consortium Holding Group um, here in San Diego. We have several restaurants. Um, including Born and Raised, where we're at today. We have Ironside um, Official Oyster, which is right down the street. The newly opened Morning Glory, um, raised by wolves up in Del Mar. I mean, there's several, just not to mention them all. Uh, but they've been around for a long time, so we're really excited to uh, get down and dirty a little bit and talk to Chef about how you've gotten to this point. Absolutely. Uh, before we do that, would you mind just kind of going, you know, I want, I'd love to take it all the way back to kind of step one, maybe if you could walk us through like how you you know, how you became a chef, how you even remember, if you remember how you want, why you wanted to Are you saying I'm chef? old if I don't remember? <laughs> <clears throat> okay, yeah, long, long, long time ago, 30 some odd years ago, actually, to be real honest, 31 years ago, um, I dropped out of high school and didn't know what I was going to do. I came home, told my parents that, you know, I'm done, school isn't for me. And my mom and dad said, okay, that's fine. Now you have to pay rent. I'm like, let me pay rent. I don't have money. <laughs> like, I didn't have a job. And they said, look, these are the rules. You yep. live under my house with not going to school. You pay rent and you follow our rules. So, you know, being a stubborn little brat, you know, I went off and met a buddy and, and we kind of decided, let's leave town. We can do this, you know, with no money in our pocket. And we moved away. And, and where was this? It was West Coast, Canada. Okay, got it. And uh, Vancouver Island. And mm -hmm. then we end up moving to a place called Banff, which is a resort town, yeah. mostly for skiing. But in the summertime, a lot of hiking. Sure, you know, sure. Golf, Beautiful spot. Gorgeous. Mm -hmm. In the Canadian Rockies. And it's on my bucket list to go take pictures. It's beautiful. And you would love it <laughs> there. Absolutely stunning. And so we get to Banff. Um, my buddy gets a job right away dishwashing. And, and I. it's kind of off season. It was in April of 1988. 1988. That's crazy. Every time I say that, I'm stunned. But anyhow, uh, we get there. I couldn't get a job because I didn't have any experience. I'm like, look, I just want to wash dishes. Like, how much experience do I need? Right. And I'll never forget... Um, I was in a Smitty's restaurant, which is Canada's version of IHOP here in America. And I was sitting there feeling sorry for myself, having a cup of coffee and I think a piece of cheesecake. And <clears throat> my server, his name was Lance, and he came up to me and he's and, and Bam's a pretty small town. So mm -hmm. he said to me, he said, look, you must be new to the town. I don't know you. I'm like, yeah, we got here about four or five days ago. He says, oh, where do you work? I said, I don't. I can't find a job, blah, 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 blah. He says, well, what are you looking to do? I said, I just want to dishwash. I just need a job to get myself started and away we go. Right. And so he went down, he got the manager. Her name was Faye. I'll never forget her. She came up, sat with me for about 15 minutes and basically she offered me a job. Said, when can I start? I said like today. So I started work that night washing dishes nice. and the rest is kind of history in a lot of ways. I never really had a lot of um, plans to be a chef yeah. or this was a career I wanted to do. At that point in my time, it was about survival. Mm -hmm. But really, to me, um, once I got in there and I, you know, we were washing dishes and, and doing my thing and I was getting free food. The cooks treated me pretty well. It was kind of cool. Um, there was just something about the, the people that worked in that restaurant. And it was a very transient town. So 
Um, a lot of people were from all over the world, obviously, mm. all over Canada, American, New Zealand, Australian, Europe. And they just had, and we were young. I was 17 at the time. And, and a lot of these individuals were probably more in their 20s, let's say early 20s. But it was just the stories they had of traveling and working in the industry. And they liked to have a good time and a little bit of partying. And I'm like, God, this is really cool. So to be honest, it was the people first that really attracted me to the yeah. industry, not really the food. Right. You know, it was a, a, a breakfast place, high end. I'm sorry, high volume. You know, everything was out of a package. But I learned a lot of skill, you know, once I was promoted to, to cooking part of it. Mm -hmm. So, it, it, and from there, it just kind of happened. After that, I went to Australia for a year and kind of traveled around with some of the friends I'd met in Banff. Um, and then when I came back to Canada after my trip there, you know, I, I didn't know what I was going to do, you know, and, and I didn't really have a plan. I was about 19 years old. And, and my dad said to me, he said, oh, there's this restaurant, this high-end hotel, it was about a small boutique hotel, was looking for dishwashers and it had a really quite a well-known Canadian chef. So he said, why don't you go apply there and, and check it out, maybe get in with a good place and maybe who knows where it goes. Mm -hmm. And I applied and, <clears throat> excuse me, the chef said, you know, why are you looking for a dishwashing job? I said, well, I don't know, I saw you posted one and I want to get in somewhere where I can learn. Right. And he said, well, I need a breakfast cook. It looks like you got some experience at breakfast. And I said, yeah, no problem. I can cook breakfast. You know, So he hired me on as the breakfast cook. And eventually I, hired, I got an apprenticeship in Canada at the time. you know, there was, It was a three-year apprenticeship that we could sign up for. So you worked 10 months in an operation, and then you went to school for two months, and you had to pass these levels to keep going. And the chef signed, signed you on, and you worked under him, and he you know, taught you. And it kind of just kept going that way. It was never, I never don't think I ever really had a plan. It was just kind of more, I was very fortunate to have great mentors or mm -hmm. people that really helped me out. I worked hard, I dedicated everything I had to it. And away I went and I was lucky enough to end up in England for a few years. And then I was in Costa Rica, the Bahamas, Miami, Toronto, kind of just traveling around learning from different people. Um, and then about 2007, uh, after I was living in the Bahamas working for Four Seasons Hotels and I was kind of done with my time there. You know, I'd done a year there and I was ready to kind of move on. And a friend of mine that I had worked with in a previous life called me and said, hey, look, there's this new hotel opening in San Diego called the Grand Omar. They're looking for a chef. You know, you should really fly out and check it out. So I did. And I mean, obviously fell in love with San Diego first and foremost. The hotel was this really great project, really high-end project. They had already had a restaurant open in Addison, which mm -hmm. obviously you know very well. Mm -hmm. Um, it had been open for about six, seven months already, and the hotel was still being built. And I ended up accepting the offer of the Josh head chef there, and that really, that's what got me into the States yeah. full time. And after a couple of years there, um, ended up in Chicago, um, had some great success in Chicago opening a property there. We won Michelin stars at the restaurant. It was really amazing. Um, and then that project uh, was being sold, and a bunch of stuff happened, and kind of we all went our separate way. And we didn't know, I didn't know where I was going to go at that. I was kind of, you know, I was 40 years old, kind of thinking, where do I go next? Mm -hmm. um, but we really liked San Diego, and I hadn't spent a lot of time here, and I thought, I really believed that San Diego had a story to tell that wasn't being told yet. And we decided to work our way back to San Diego. How and long we, were you in Chicago for? Two years. Two years? Yeah, and we ended up, so we've been back in San Diego now nine years. Mm -hmm. It'll be February nine years back. I think it's nine. And I, I, I was... My wife went back to work at Hyatt. You know, she used to work at Hyatt, so she got a job, and so we had we didn't have bills, no children, so I yeah. was able to kind of like be a little patient in terms of what I was looking for, mm -hmm. and I really wanted to to be a part of something unique and special, a partnership in some way, and really create something and be a part of something that had a lot of vision. Yeah. So I didn't rush into any job. I said, look, I want to do my thing, 
Um, so I, I did a few kind of consulting jobs around town, a couple of you know, private chef dinners just to you know keep keep me busy and mm-hmm. kind of meet and network. Sure. And I was sitting at a beer dinner one night at La Valencia Hotel, and I got sat at Nathan Stanton, um, a table with Nathan Stanton. And Nathan Stanton was one of the original partners of CH Projects Consortium Holdings. And we just started talking, we exchanged business cards, and you know, about a month later, um, Nathan reached out and said, hey look, you know, Nathan, you know, Nathan, we met at the beer dinner, I'd love you to come down and have dinner with me and my business partner and just kind of talk about the future. And we did. We had dinner. I met Arslan Tafazoli, who's the founder of CH Projects. And, you know, we kind of, I say we dated for a while. We kind of like, there was some courting going on. At the time, it was just um, El Dorado, uh, Noble Experiment, Neighborhood, and Craft and Commerce. That was the four. And Underbelly was just about to open, the original Underbelly in Little Italy. And so that was fine. We kind of, you know, we talked about things. They talked about their kind of plans and what they were looking for. And they didn't. What were they looking for at that time? Well, they were, they were, they're very bar, yeah, very bar centric group. Mm -hmm. But they knew that, you know, to grow and to, you know, they didn't want to be known as full bar guys. Mm -hmm. You know, they knew that they wanted to kind of diversify in some ways and add a food component. And it wasn't really their strength. They were bar guys. They knew bar very well. And they were looking for someone that could help on the food side. Right. And, and obviously that's where I come in. And and so what after, I, may, I can't remember, it was maybe a couple months that we kind of got to know each other and we became friends first. Um, we decided to kind of go for it. And I signed on for a 90-day kind of contract just to kind of see if we got along, if I like them, they like me. Um, and away we went. And I... I Spent most of my time at Craft and Commerce at the time mm-hmm. and a little bit of neighborhood and, and you know, and at the time it was hard because this is eight years ago now and they weren't quite sure what they wanted. You know, they wanted change in food, but they weren't sure they wanted change. So we would do a new dish or change the menu up a little bit. And look, at the time they were very successful. I mean, Craft was lined up every night of the week. It was like, you know, and, and I, the pressure I found felt was, God, I don't want to change anything because what if I change something and people don't like it right. and they have this amazing business that I'm affecting. So it, it, we actually decided that we weren't going to continue the partnership. And a lot of people don't know that, but we actually went and had, you know, we went for lunch about 65 days in and I said, look, guys, you don't need me. Like, you're not ready for me yet, you know, and, and you guys are, you, you guys got to figure out what you want and I want something more than what the group has to offer me and I'll finish up and make sure we got everything in line and then I'll move on. And that was kind of the lunch we had that we were going to separate ways once we cleaned up a bit of that. And then we had an opportunity to open um, Soda Swine North Park and uh, play provisions. And Arslan came to me and he said, look, I know you're kind of leaving, but can I hire you just open this project for me? Help me open this project Mm -hmm. up. And so I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. No problem. It'll be kind of fun to open a project for you guys. And here it goes. And... The rest is history. I'm yeah. still here eight years later. <laughs> so it just was weird how it kind of started in terms of like it, it we were both looking for something different at that moment. Mm-hmm. And then this project happened that we could open. And through the opening, you know, openings are tough. You kind of build these bonds. And they were happy with how I did things in opening the place. Yeah. And they thought, okay, well, let's figure this out. It just felt right. It did. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and after that, you know, we were lucky, you know, Ironside came on board after that. Yeah. Um, so can I, I want to backtrack a little bit before yeah. we get into like some of the more modern projects. Absolutely. Too. I'm super interested. Like you worked for some pretty hardcore chefs after 
or excuse me, before you came like officially into the States, right? Yeah. So I, I, I spent some time in England mm-hmm. and I was lucky enough to work with a chef named Raymond Blanc. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, two Michelin star chef. He's had Michelin, at Le Manuel Cat Saison. And he opened a restaurant called Petit Blanc. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a bistro, French bistro uh, in Oxford, England. So uh, through mutual friends and this really great you know, network of people helped me get over there to work for him. And mm-hmm. I was able to go over and work for him for a year. And um, that changed my life, like really, truly changed my life because I was doing pretty well in Canada. I was working hard. I was, you know, um, I, I was moving up the ranks a little bit. I was still young, but I was in a small bubble, you yeah. know, in Vancouver Island in Canada, you know, very small restaurant scene. So I get over there and I mean, it just the, the level of intensity and the the expectation. And you went from like small little resort town in Canada. Yeah, super, super, super to super like happy wow. To and 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 our and Raymond Long's business partner was Richard Branson uh-huh. from Virgin, you know, Atlantic and Virgin right. Records and, and so on and so on. So, the 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 just the expectations and the profiles of like this opening this restaurant was like it was intense, and it was a very intense environment. You know, we worked you know morning, lunch, dinner. You know, mm-hmm. six seven days a week. And it was a tough opening in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, we just, we weren't really ready to open. Um, the restaurant wasn't quite ready. We didn't have enough staff. Um, the staff we did have, most of them quit within 48 hours of opening because it was just too much. Yeah. Uh, but what that, what that did for, for me is it, it, I stayed. So like all of a sudden, you know, people respected us because we were staying through this very difficult time. You know, we, we had about 20 cooks to, to start. And I think oh, within the first week, we were down to about six cooks. Oh, my God. And, I mean, it was chaos. Yeah. I mean, it really was. And But, you know, you really learn what you can go through, I think, you know. And then after a year there, um, the chef, the cuisine that was running the restaurant um, came to me one day and he said, hey, look, you know, Marco Pierre White's coming for lunch today. And you know, and at the time, you know, Marco was, you know, this this huge name, arguably maybe one of the top chefs in the world. You know, a British chef making his name in French cuisine in England, which was just unheard of. And he had a reputation of being pretty crazy, pretty wild, pretty tough. I mean, I was freaking out. I remember his book White Heat. And I'm like, oh my god, he's coming for lunch, like here, like what's going on, <laughs> right? Why? And he says, don't say anything. But I'm a, basically, it's an interview for me to go down and work for oh, him. Wow. And, and, and you can come with. And yeah. the chef was Canadian. Yeah. That that ran the kitchen that was Raymond Long uh, from Vancouver as well. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I, I'll never forget that day. He walks in, and you know, he's six foot four, you know, 300 pounds. You know, he looks like wow, like this guy's impressive. I mean, I was shaking. And my first time I think I really shaked about cooking food for somebody, right? Because <laughs> yeah. this is like my career in a nutshell. And <laughs> so he came in and had lunch and, and you know, and, and he, the chef that I was working for, his name is David Hawksworth, took the job, accepted the job mm-hmm. down in, in London. And we were in Oxford at the time. And uh, so I went with and <clears throat> ended up spending almost four years there in wow. London and working at a few of the places. Mm-hmm. And and again, all his restaurants, all his restaurants. Yeah, so, yeah, wow. I think at the time he probably had about 11 okay. at the time um, and a three star, obviously a signature. It was at the Oak Room at the time. Um, but there there was different restaurants. He had a two star, a one star, a bunch of bistros. And the neat thing about that community was we just worked kind of where we were needed. We had yeah. a home base, but if you know they needed something, you could go work anywhere. Right. And it, it just the, the discipline that it taught me, you know, in terms of just 
understanding and work ethic and the, the learning curve was huge. Like I really thought I knew something about cooking, mm-hmm. you know, at a, at a young age, maybe a bit of ego, you know, being ahead of my time and, you know, but there, I mean, you like these, there was professionals in these kitchens. You know? Did you have a lot of contact with him directly? <clears throat> no, not a lot. More I mean, CDCs that are running the show CDCs and... for sure. <clears throat> at that time, you know, even he was not as much, even at the three star, mm-hmm. he was starting to really expand. Yeah. Um, did his you know, CDCs he, carry some of the culture that what he for what he was known for? I mean that intensity. Maybe there was. A little over it, the top and it's interesting and, because you go there, and, and I was a small town Canadian kid. You know, I did. You know, we weren't getting. There wasn't a lot of abuse in the kitchen where I came from. Yeah. And, you know, it was. You know, then there. Not that we were abused. I, I, we weren't. It was. But there was. There was that intensity, that militant style of um, command. Mm-hmm. And, and when you screwed up, there was punishment. You yeah. know, not just. A yelling you're bad like right. I remember one day I, I can't remember what I did now exactly but um, they made me stand in a corner with my nose in the corner and peel garlic for 18 hours oh my, what 18 hours <laughs> and, and when you're peeling garlic for anyone who's oh up there that's God. peeled fresh garlic you know it burns your eyes after a while and your fingers and, and the problem is is we worked um, six days a week uh, we started at 6 30 in the morning we worked till about 1 a.m. Um, and then Saturday was a half day, we called it, because we didn't do lunch service on yeah. Saturday. So yeah. we'd go in around 2 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, but we wouldn't finish till probably 3 a.m. because we'd scrub the kitchen down spotless. Um, so it, it was hard. So you were tired all the time, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and so another thing I remember, I was uh, the supplier came in and, and said, you know, and we were returning some mushrooms. And, and I, you know, I, I walked, they asked me to go get them. So I walked back to the walk-in cooler. I grabbed them and I didn't walk fast enough. So the, you know, the chef made me run in circles for like an hour as fast <laughs> as I could. And I remember like wanting to throw up, you know, because I was like, you're already sleeping four hours a night. Now you're running as fast and you can't slow down because you just couldn't. Yeah. You know, there was, you couldn't whistle in the kitchen. That was a huge thing. I mean, all these things that we just took for granted mm-hmm. in other places that these are such strict rules of right. discipline. And so, but it, it did. And But it's interesting, it, getting off topic, but I never thought I would be that. But after yeah. five years there, when I went moved back to Canada, I was that. Yeah. You know, and I ended up taking a job in a hotel back in Canada as the CDC of a, of a, a restaurant that was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I had that intensity with me pretty bad, mm-hmm. you know, and this was a ski resort that we were in in Whistler and, and a lot of employees were there for one reason, to ski. Right. They weren't there. It wasn't a career choice. Right, right. It was a, the hotel game, a job. They got a ski pass if they stayed the whole winter. So that's why they worked there. And then here comes this kid that's just like ready to take on the world. That's now all this energy that for five years has been inbreded in him. Right. I was a crazy lunatic you know and so you did i took that trade on a lot and it took me a couple years to really like move away from that you know um i didn't ever hit somebody but i threw things screamed a lot you know kicked people out of the kitchen fired people in the middle of service um and all things that in a hotel world with a big corporation and hr doesn't go over so well do you need that level of intensity to produce those results i, I don't in, think you in do your opinion i don't have you seen it done without that level of intensity? yeah i mean like, i still I, producing these like top quality chefs or you know other people in, the, in those positions i think most now are there i think that but a lot of that stuff doesn't fly now either right and i, mean, I think and like, that's the the part of it but, but you see a lot of chefs now you know um which is amazing talk about life balance mm-hmm. and 
what they do outside of you know their workplace and i think for so many years it was just you were a chef you worked 20 hours a day you had no life but reality is you need life experiences to be really good at what you do and i think so in our world as well like mm-hmm. These chefs travel now. You see them in Asia, in Europe, or Norway, or Denmark, or and the experiences you gain from those travels. Well, you have to be away from your workplace to do that, right? right? So I think we're a way better place now in terms of knowledge. And yeah. and the biggest difference I think for me, um, like working for Marco was like the menu never changed. Like you had a menu that year round it just never changed because for them with the michelin guide was so important to them in in that time that they couldn't afford to change a recipe they couldn't afford to change a dish and then have the the risk of a bad service the risk of it not working the risk of retraining like i literally cooked the same food with marco for two three years without changing a dish you know um because for them, that was more important than creativity or going outside the box. Or it was just, I don't know, it was a very different time for mm-hmm. sure. Um, kitchens are tough. And, and I think now we're definitely moving in the right direction. Yeah. A lot of work to do, no question. Um, but it, it's better now for yeah. sure. It's a better environment. And to me, if you're happy, you work better. You're more creative, yeah. you know, you really are. Do you think there's been a, a shift even at like, you know, those still two, three star Michelin levels that chefs at those highest levels too, like are shifting a little bit as far yeah. as the cultures? Absolutely. And a, and a perfect example I can tell you is a gentleman named Sat Baines um, mm-hmm. has two Michelin stars in Nottingham, England. And and Sat and I became very good friends when we, he was part of the opening team at the Petit Blanc. Mm-hmm. And this guy, he, he I mean, I, I get goosebumps talking about him because he's one of the most amazing people I've ever worked with and became very good friends with him. And we don't we haven't seen each other probably in, I don't know, 15 years probably now. Um, but we're very close still. And what he's doing at a two mission star level, you know, he only opens four days a week. Mm. Um, so his staff can have three days off a week. And for that reason. For that reason. Mm. He wants balance for his employees yeah. and he runs an inn. So that, you know, with, he has, uh, I think it's seven rooms yeah. um, there. So for him to, you know, he, you know, reality would be that he would open seven days a week. Right. But no, he went down to four. I think it's been about almost two years now he made that change. Wow. So, you know, he wanted that lifestyle change. You know, when we would eat staff meal 20 years ago, you know, we were eating bowls of cereal or a slice of ham and some baguette. That was our meal for the day. You know, you see sap beans, like he's having like meals now in kitchens, like you do not want to cook a bad staff meal as a right, cook, right? right? Because we, we all know how important that meal is to, right. to nourish what we do. So it's definitely changed. And I do think um, the higher end restaurants are setting the tone for sure. There's yeah. a lot of restaurants, um, that close two days a week now to give the, that team. And it does help the restaurant because then you have a team that's working the same five sure, shifts. It right, does actually right. help. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do lose, you know, revenue that way. Right. But again, we have like French Laundry and Madison Park, right? They close twice a year. Yeah. Don't they? Like and they go in the entire help, staff takes a week Entire staff all at the same time. Yep, and yep. to me, that's, that's the shift that we're going in, mm-hmm. and, and look again, a lot of a lot of work to do. But again, I would I would never change yeah. what I went through, never in a million years. Um, it was an experience that I learned so much from, and like anything, we have to evolve. 
right? We're constantly evolving. And I just think our restaurant industry is evolving as well. Yeah. And trying to find ways to be better. Right. You know, um, and I think that is one of the ways that we are being better as chefs and, and owners, especially chef owners, are really looking at the lifestyle for their employees. Yeah. Um, I think uh, David Chang, um, I listened to his podcast and he was talking about they opened up in Vegas, you know, and um, that they, their team there, like a lot of people wanted to go work in Vegas for him because they could buy a home cheaper, you know, taxes were better, pay was really good. They set up like yoga community for the kitchen. Uh, they, they created this real bond there mm-hmm. of, of lifestyle. And he thought it was going to be really hard to get people to go there, but people started seeing that there's a pretty good lifestyle there and they could afford to have a home. Yeah. So I, I think it is. I think it's things we think about more and more and how do we improve our industry? Because again, I think our industry was so rough for so long that people did leave our industry. Yeah. Why would they stay? Right, right. So definitely. Um, we're going to take a quick break here. Do you have any questions on there? I have one question that I think would actually fit really well A great question. So the question is, any challenges the current chefs face right now? Who asked it? Do you know? Do you have a name on there? Chef Curls. Chef Curls. I love you, Curls. Um, <laughs> it, it's yeah. There is a million challenges. Uh, for me, I think the biggest one is social media, um, because of the pressures mm-hmm. of trying to look better and make it better. And and when, again. I don't want to sound archaic, but when I was a young chef, I mean, the only person or a young cook, the only person I was trying to impress was the chef. Right. Now you're trying to impress your followers, anyone who can. And I think, you know, also there was no celebrity chefs per se, like they are now when I was a young cook, you know, Mm -hmm. the pressures of the food. I mean, as good as the food network was for our business, I think with just educating people, it also puts pressure. So I think to me, there's a lot of different pressures now than what I had when I was younger. Yeah. And I do think social media is a big one because I do think there's an expectation that, you know, I, I think a lot of people are, we put things on Instagram to look good, mm-hmm. right? That's part of it. But there's very few people that kind of put their failures on there and tell a true story that goes with it. So that everyone, everything looks perfect. Right. So we're not in a perfect world. Totally. And I think that's a danger. 100%. So, Chef, rolling off of that question from Chef Curls, thank you, by the way. I have a question for you. So, like so many pe- new people still coming into the industry, right? Especially talking about young chefs or people wanting to be young cooks and getting in here. Like, what type of advice would you give them to be successful in what they're doing? Like, and not looking, and, uh, allow me, please, I'm not looking further because I've heard this answer before. It's just like hard work and determination. Yeah, like, no. Sure, I- that's, that, that's like a given, right? But, like, Like, I would love for if you could consider, like, is going to culinary school still a must? Or, like, what are some things that you can do to kind of become a successful professional in this career? I think think there's a couple things for sure. I think, for me, research. Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of uh, young chefs or young cooks, they don't do a lot of research in where they're applying. Mm -hmm. And for me, one of the main things, I think, why I was able to be successful... Um, was I knew where I was going to work before I went to work there. Mm-hmm. I didn't just send out 15 resumes and hope one of them stuck. I said, I'm only sending one resume, right. and that's where I'm going to work. Right. Whatever it takes, I'm going to work there. So that's a big one for me is just spend a little time in researching where you want to work. Why do you want to work at that restaurant? Why do you want to work for that chef? Why? What, right. what, are, they, what are you going to learn from them, and what are you going to get? Yeah. 
Um, to me, if you do that, I think you're going to be, you're going to really put yourself on the path for success. And every time you, it's time for you to move on, you know, um, think about where you just worked, what you just learned, and then try to find a chef or a restaurant that you may learn something different. Mm -hmm. Because what we're trying to do as young cooks really is, is to set ourselves up to be a great chef. Well, how do you do that? Well, you learn from different chefs along the way and then you bring all that in and then you kind of start to build your own style from right. that. But if you're just learning from the same style of chef every time, well, you will be that chef and that's fine if that's what you want. But why not take that opportunity to go out and research and, and, and do that um, and travel? Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, if you're born and raised in San Diego and you've worked here a few years and you kind of got things going, then get out of San Diego and go learn some more. Go learn from somewhere else. Go mm -hmm. learn a new culture and then bring it back to your hometown and really grow your hometown. Yeah. But I think there is value in that education of leaving where you're from and learning. So that's a big one for me. Culinary schools, big hot topic, obviously, in our industry. A lot of negative stuff out there with culinary schools. Look, I would never say education is bad, but there's no way that you learn in culinary schools what you learn in a great restaurant. You just don't. Um, there are certain things you might learn about certain things, but you just can't beat the hands-on experience. And what we do is so hands-on and so um, it changes so often. It's very hard to kind of to, to learn that in school. Yeah. And is that a prerequisite for you when you're hiring young cooks it, it's to not, into the restaurant? It really isn't. I, I, I don't even, I don't really ask school or not school. Mm -hmm. If they went to school, they're right out of school. You know, I'll ask them, you know. What do you look for? I just want somebody, I, I want somebody, I do want somebody that knows, like if I ask someone, you know, why did you apply at Born and Raised? And I said, well, I saw a post on, on, on um, Craigslist. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm probably not, I'm, it's going to put a strike against that person sure. for me. Like I'd rather him say, oh, I saw a post on Craigslist. And then I went online and looked up and said, holy shit, I really want to work at that place. That is awesome. Yeah. Right? They're butchering, they're doing charcuterie, they're dry aging meat. I need to learn that. Okay, well, all of a sudden now I got, oh, I like this person. Right. But if it's just this kind of like, I don't know, I never heard of CH Projects. I don't know what Born and Raised is. I just need a job. You know, so it all depends on that. Literally, that one question can really set the tone of, of who or you might hire. And I think for me, you know, research, just research, research, know where you're going to work. Why waste your time going to a place that you're not even going to like? Right. You know, because what ends up happening is then that cycle of changing jobs every four or five months sets in and then... I don't think young cooks realize the damage that does to their career. You know, if you commit to something, then get in and commit to the right thing. And a little bit of research will help you yeah. do that. Right. And I think that, that flipping around is dangerous. Mm -hmm. and, and I hear it, you know, we hear it a lot of time where I'll say to a young cook, well, why have you been in that five jobs in two years? Oh, I wanted to learn more. Well, you're not learning much in four months at a restaurant. Right. You're just not. Right. Um, you know, you need to spend some time and go through, you know, the day to day of a restaurant. Yeah. You know, and, and again, young cooks also need to realize that, look, we are running a business first and foremost. Right. And as much as we want to be creative and change the menu every day and all this new product coming into the restaurant, there has to be a business first. Without that business aspect, we don't have the restaurant. And I do think that, you know, again, in this day and age, even more so because of the pressures, People want change right away. Like if I show them how to cook a piece of fish once, you know, they think they're experts. And now I don't need to cook fish anymore. Show me how to cook a piece of meat. Right. Just be patient. 
And, and again, this is a, it's, it's, you know, it takes some time to kind of learn the skills that we do and we're always learning. So I think those are the biggest things for me is yeah. just be patient, do a little research and your life will be a lot better. I love that. So let me, I want to throw one out at you. That's more kind of geared towards restaurant owners. Yeah. Right. And I'd love your, your input on this, but I think the stats are like, I think more over 6% of new restaurants fail within the first year. And then that goes up to 80% that fail within the first five, right. Which is brutal for people. How many restaurants have we seen come through here that haven't yeah. made it right with people that have a lot of passion and seems like they have the right things in place. I don't know what the, 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 the scoreboard is for, for you and CH, but it seems like most of the restaurants that have opened in the last nine years are still alive and well. What do you attribute that to? What, well, are, or what, what advice would you give to somebody who's looking to open a business? Like, what are some of the things that have allowed you to be successful or maybe even things that you've noticed that other people have done that have led to their demise? I think there's a, to be honest with you, there's probably about 15 things. I really, I, I, I think a few of the key ones are um, for us, you know, uh, first of all, I think the biggest challenges um, is the wrong people or people who really don't understand the business mm -hmm. on the outside looking in think, oh my God, what a glamorous business this restaurant thing is. I can have all my friends there. It's a giant party. How fun is it? But they don't really know the business aspect mm -hmm. of it. I think that's a big one. I think the wrong people sometimes try to open restaurants. Even yeah. people who have been doing it for 20 years struggle at opening a restaurant. Now yeah. all of a sudden you're someone outside the business and you want to open a restaurant. It's hard. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, money is a big one. You know, one of the biggest challenges we have is, um, you know, we have this game plan. Let's say, okay, we're going to open a restaurant. We need, need a million dollars. Well, then people forget that. Okay, that's one thing to spend a million dollars building the place. But what about the half a million dollars you need once staff come on board? You need to buy a product. You need to get wine. You need to get food. Get you need to get payroll yeah. for a month until sales start coming sure. in. So they forget about that. Then all of a sudden, once payroll comes on, it's your biggest expense. Um, so that's another thing that just they, they plan, but not far enough mm -hmm. in advance to kind of really say, okay, what does six months open look like for us? How do we fund that for six months? Because right. a lot of places are not fortunate enough to have a lineup at the door day one. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Those two are big. Um, obviously, location's a big one. You know, I think people sign bad deals you know lease deals you know i don't think they um they really research you know the value of where they're leasing and then they pay too much it's mm -hmm. a big cost right um but to me one of the biggest things is and i and i really struggle with this because i i don't i try to help out but um a true identity to the concept you're opening and i think what happens a lot of times is someone has money they want to open a restaurant they have this idea of what it might be, but they need a chef, let's say. Okay, well, they, they want to do a Mediterranean restaurant, but they hire a chef that cooks, doesn't want to cook Mediterranean, mm -hmm. right? They want to cook molecular, nouveau, Spanish cuisine. Okay, well, that doesn't mix, but, oh, we saw this guy on Instagram. He looks pretty good. He's, you know, his name's around town. He's been on Eater. He's done all the things. Let's hire this person. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, then guests come, and they're like, well, they're confused. And if a guest, a guest is confused going into the restaurant, what the concept is, it's not going to work, right. you know, and then that chef leaves, let's say, right, after four months, hire a new chef. Well, that chef brings in new ideas, what they want, they want to make their mark, right? Well, again, confusing again, all of a sudden you're a year in, place closed because no one's coming because no one knows what they're trying to serve. 
I think for us, I think what we've been able to do pretty well, we're not perfect by any means, is we stick to a concept and, and we get buy-in from our staff to understand that, um, look, if we're going to do a steakhouse, then we're going to do a steakhouse. Mm -hmm. If we're going to do a seafood house, we're going to do a seafood house. Um, if we're going to do a meatball shop, let's do a meatball shop. Um, and we stick to that. And, and people who are coming into that restaurant to work, it's been explained to them that, look, you are the chef at X restaurant. Here, here's the guidelines. You need to stick to this. If it's something you don't think you can do and you think you're going to come in and make all your own recipes and go your own direction, we're not for you. Yeah. I do think we do that pretty well. Yeah. You know, we've, we made mistakes along the way, no question. But I do think we stick to a game plan um, and we have a pretty good direction of what we want to do in that in that restaurant. The other part of it is, look, when you open and you start charging money, guests have an expectation, right? If you're paying to come eat at this restaurant, they want it to be perfect. And and the reality is, it's never perfect, unfortunately. I mean, even for us, you know, we're lucky. I think we've built up enough collateral in this city where people give us four or five months, they mm -hmm. forgive us because mm -hmm. they know we're going to get it right because we have that pattern. But look, when we open a restaurant, the first four to six months, I question my existence every time. I just think, what are we doing? We've really fucked this up. You know? <laughs> but we get it right somehow. Yeah. It just ends up happening. It just takes time for these restaurants to mature a little bit. And unfortunately, um, guests, they're not patient. And you can't blame them. They're paying money to sure. come to your restaurant. They right. want a great experience. So I think we're lucky and fortunate a little bit over the last 12, 13 years of, of CH. We've been able to build a bit of collateral with our clientele. And they give us the benefit of the doubt that we're going to get it right. So I, there's a lot of factors. I think mm -hmm. I hope I answered that right. No, no, you, you definitely did. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so have there been failures within CH from restaurants that you guys have uh, We have. And, and I guess I don't even Ooh, know. Which has been the worst one Rare form. From. Yeah. If everyone remembers, it was by the ballpark sure, yeah, on yeah. J Street. Um, and I, I don't even, it, it was a failure, but not a failure in some ways. Like it definitely was a struggling business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had hoped. Location. Yeah, it was right by the ballpark. Yeah. Um, we really thought that we could turn this around. Mm -hmm. Um but it was weird, you know, like business was really, it was so hit. We were so used to our restaurants being pretty consistent all year round where that was like for the first time we were dealing with a restaurant that just when ball games were on, we were actually empty. Like it just, we, we were right next to the ballpark and it was like the slowest day because they blocked all the streets off. There was no parking mm, down there. Nobody there, went yeah. down there. And mm -hmm. then obviously the Padres, unfortunately, <laughs> don't have a big following. Right. So there wasn't that many people going down there anyhow. Right. You know, if there was conferences in town or other things going on, it was good. But it was one of those things we finally decided that, look, the amount of effort that we have to keep putting into this restaurant to make it work, was it worth it in the end? Was it really going to be kind of what we needed? Mm -hmm. um, so we just made the decision to sell the restaurant. Yeah. And I believe that the spot that's there now is actually doing quite well. Really? Yeah. What, 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 what I, I think they kept it the same name, actually. Okay. Um, but it was a gentleman, I can't remember his name either, but he had a catering company yeah. that he wanted to use it also as his catering kitchen for downtown. So I think it, that helped. Like yeah. He's got a couple businesses doing there, and I think he's doing okay. So Jeff, I got to ask you, with like so many projects that you guys have, it seems like as you're opening a restaurant, there's already another project that's in the works. And it seems like there's always at least two or three things that are in the works, not to mention still the responsibility on your behalf to oversee the other successful restaurants. Like, how do you do that? Well, <laughs> I don't even I know mean, what the right question <laughs> is there, but it's like you see them, you <coughs> juggle all these things and sometimes somehow you still have time for people 
like all the people now. How many people are in CH? We have, I think, about 630 employees. I know there's so many that go to you, you know, for advice and help on things, and somebody yeah. managed to, to, to fit all that in. Like, what do you think allows you to do that? Well, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I, in all honesty, like, I feel, especially over the last year and a half, mm-hmm. um, I feel that I, I struggle more and more with it. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing for me is, is um, as we get bigger and we grow, we're doing it for the right reason. We mm-hmm. want, we want to grow because we want to give opportunity. Um, so the, our, our thought process is in the right way. But what happens with growth is you start to lose a bit of touch with certain things. And we're kind of going through that right now as we grow and we have over 600 employees. And, and I like this industry because of the people. Mm-hmm. I, I really love the people. Um, I think we have, our industry has some of the most unique individuals in any industry. We're artists, we're musicians, um, we're architects, we're masters in this, masters in that. We travel and I think, and for me, that's why I've always loved this industry. So for me, the hardest part is trying to keep up with those personal relationships. You know, eight years ago when I joined this group, you know, we had maybe 80 employees at the time and we knew every single employee. Most was probably a friend of a friend that we hired. Well, now we don't know that. I go into a restaurant if I haven't been into Born and Raised, for example, for a few weeks, you know, for whatever reason, there's new people I don't know, I don't see. So it, it's hard. It, it's a struggle. It's something we're trying to figure out yeah. how we can be better at it. Um, we don't have an answer yet for sure. And we have four more projects in the works. Um, we'll, we'll put us probably closer to 800 employees. Yeah. So it is something that scares us, but I think that fear helps drive us as mm-hmm. well. And I do think as much as, you know, um, we've had some success, which we're very fortunate for in San Diego, I think we're humble enough and I think we're real enough to understand that we're not perfect. And we really do question ourselves all the time you know and i think maybe that's what keeps us going that fear of losing it all Mm -hmm. um so i I don't know it it is hard but i am going through more of a struggle with it day to day now of how do i the guilt of not spending enough time with certain people because we do hear it we hear like when we open a new place or in this you know in, in some sense we've opened two restaurants in the last six months so my time has been spent at those two restaurants for the most part. And then we start to hear the, 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 the rumors or the, the, the talk of, well, they don't come to our restaurant anymore. Oh, we're, we're, you know, they don't love us anymore. And, and you kind of like, you forget that because it's not that, like you don't even think about it, but then you start to realize that, you know, part of what we do is such a people job right. and, and t- you're touching personalities and people that people want to know that we still love them. And I, and I think and that's we're struggling a little bit with that, you yeah. know, and trying to figure it out and find the balance. Yeah. And it's hard. It's really, really hard. Well, it's having to relay the culture that you guys started off with to so many other people to carry it on yeah. for you, right? And that, and that yeah. is a big one, you know, and, and trying to find ways to um, tell our story mm-hmm. through our managers, our leads, down into our employees. Yeah. And, and how does that? Because you're right, it gets diluted a little bit every layer. Right. And it's tough. What do you think over, like, the last five, six years has been like the biggest behavior or, or like kind of attitude that you've seen change in yourself for better or worse, uh, I guess. I, I, guess I think for, for me, the, the biggest thing that I've 
um, had to learn is really looking at the big picture to really step out of a chef. Um, look, I'm a chef at heart. I love food. Um, but reality is I'm more of an operations person now. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, did you see yourself as that before that you kind of just move into like grow into I, I think position? there was um, somewhat in me. I was never the most talented chef. I was never the most creative chef. I'm not very good at plating food. You know, I always had to have someone I could come up with ideas and thoughts, but I needed someone to put on a plate for me. Um, so <clears throat> I think what I had was I always worked the hardest. Mm-hmm. It was one of my things that I, anything I did, I worked hard. And I always, I think there was, I would say probably, even before I joined this group, that there was always some type of thought that I would go more of an operation style. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, one of the, the hard part about cooking is you need to be cooking regularly. Right. It's a flow. And my job doesn't really allow that as much right. anymore to get in a kitchen, put my phone down, turn my phone off and just cook because I can't, I'm, there might be a phone call coming from somewhere else. I got to deal with it. So right. cooking to me is really something that you have to touch and feel and not be distracted. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do like the part of it because I get to learn so much more. I'm not just learning about food. I get to spend time with you talking wine. I get to learn about cocktails from our bartenders. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the operations part of it. I love the finance part of what we do. Um, I was always pretty good with math. So I really understand numbers quickly. And that is a new challenge. You know, how do we, in a, in a business that's becoming more and more expensive to do business, especially in California, minimum wages, all the things that happen, how do we become better operators that we don't have to cut things out of our operation, but, but we still have to make money? Right. So I, I don't know. I, I think for me, I, I think it's that mind shift of, okay, kitchen, we're, we're the kitchen, right? Stay out of our path. I have to really like, I have to put all hats on, you know, I have mm-hmm. to be a chef, I have to be an operations person, I have to be a host, I have to be a psalm, think about wine, okay, yeah. what are we doing, how are we doing it, you know. Human um, resource director. Human resources, you know, <laughs> just having a you know, little conversation, take someone walking around the block and put my arm around them. Yeah. And so I, I love that part of it because I, <laughs> I love being connected to the people. I, I, I really do and I've said it, I, I, again, I never set out thinking I was gonna be a chef one day. Yeah. I, I really, it was a job at a necessity. It turned into loving the people and the stories that went with our industry. Yeah. And I just think we have the coolest people to talk to. Yeah. And everyone has a really great story of how they got to where they are in our business. Mm-hmm. And I just love that part of it. So I love where I'm going with it. I love the challenge of going outside my comfort zone, you know. And, you know, when I was a young chef, per se, and I wasn't anywhere near this role, I was right. The kitchen was always right. Stay out of our way. We're mm-hmm. the best. You need us more, mm-hmm. you know, but I learned real quick, yeah. you know, that look, having a great bar program, you know, is really helps us financially, sure. right? Yeah. We make much more money selling booze mm-hmm. than we do selling food, right? you know, which I would 20 years ago, I would never admitted that, right. but now I understand it. So I think for me, that's a big part of it is just kind of learning the whole business and understanding yeah. it more. Yeah, well, I, you know, I got to throw something in there, too. I can, I can say from personal experience that um, I've witnessed how, how you do have that connection with a lot of people, and people naturally gravitate towards you, right? I think even within, within a company this large, like, there's not technically a, a, a human resources department, yeah. but people know that they can come to you. And I work with a lot of chefs, you know, <clears throat> in several different cities and, and at high levels, too, and I, I can sense the difference 
in the camaraderie and the culture that's built here based upon that sense of wanting to take care of people versus I'm the best, I'm going to be the best, you need to try to be like me and emulate me and, and, and what I'm trying to do. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say is thank you for that. Well, I, think I appreciate that. I think a lot that. of people uh, really appreciate that. I do that. appreciate it. It, it allows us to operate in a space that makes us feel comfortable. You know? uh, and, I, and, we, and we do want that. And yeah. it's funny, something you just said trigger thought to me is one of the things I actually, I, I think I just mumbled a bit when you asked me a question, but one of the things that I really had to learn through this, pro- what my role is now is not to overreact mm-hmm. and to really listen to who I'm speaking to, mm-hmm. listen to kind of what's happened or why they're upset or the issue they're having, and then not overreact and run back to whoever is responsible for what's going on in that person's life. Yeah. I, I did have a tendency to do that instead of like gathering the information, writing it down in some notes, and then going to whoever I needed to follow up with mm-hmm. afterwards and say, hey, look, guys, this is just something that was said. What, what do you think about this? Yeah. If more, I would come in hot. Right. Like, you fucking assholes. Like, what the fuck? And they'd be looking at me like, what are you talking about? That's not really what happened. Right, right. Well, then they would tell me this story. Then I'd go in hot back to the person that told me, like, what are you talking <laughs> So I had to I had to learn that I couldn't let that emotion take over because mm-hmm. there was this feeling that I just wanted to fix the problem right. for somebody. But it wasn't fixing it because I was overreacting. Yeah. So I've really... I think especially over the last eight to nine months, I've really spent a lot of time just listening, taking notes, and then going back and having a conversation wherever I need to have a conversation with mm-hmm. in a much calmer way of, hey, look, guys, this is just what's been said. Yeah. What do you think about this? Right. You know, And again, because I think that there is truth in the people, obviously, with what they're maybe talking about, whether it's complaining, whether it's suggestions. But sometimes it may be a little embellished, right? Because we all look at it very differently, right? When it affects us. So that's a big thing I did. I'm working really hard on to understand how I can be more effective in, in relaying messages I get from my relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Big one. It's a tough one too, it's right? Hard. It's hard. It's not emotional really, response really to something hard. in this industry. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, so we kind of have to wrap up here soon, Chef. Oh, two questions to wrap up. First of all, what what's next for you, like for the next five years? And secondly, uh, I want you to tell us about the the podcast that you're starting. Cool. It's a uh, chef's Jason's shitty chef driven podcast. Yeah, right? it's a tongue twister. <laughs> well, <coughs> quick the short version. The next five years, I have no idea. Um, obviously, we have a bunch of projects opening up in the next year. You know, I think four more in the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going on vacation in two weeks. Um, cool. I thought I was going on vacation in a week, but I got the dates mixed up. So <laughs> I, I got two weeks to go, but I'm traveling to Paris and Copenhagen. Oh, amazing. Going to eat a lot of food. Mm-hmm. Um, just regroup, you know, do that. Um, for me, I, I just, as long as I can keep getting better uh, communicating, mm-hmm. you know, um, we're going back in and really looking at our processes, uh, how we deal with things, how we set things up. Um, which I'm really excited about because we're almost taking a step back in the group right now to hopefully help us move forward. Mm-hmm. We're working on a couple new manuals um, that we're doing. We have a really cool bar manual coming out, and then we're starting to work on the kitchen manual. Um, that'll be really interesting that our, our employees will be able to have. Yeah. Um, it's about 200-page manual oh, that wow. we've been working on. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and then, yeah, the podcast, um, it's really interesting because I... Yeah, what can we expect? What's the theme here? So, yeah, so it's Jason's <laughs> Shitty Chef Driven Podcast. Okay. Um, I was lucky enough to to get set up with Callaway Podcast Network, Callaway Golf. Um, they have this amazing podcast network that is um, 
it's pretty awesome. Like I, I, I got a full studio. I work with like people that like produce the show. They do all the editing. I mean, I almost feel guilty because you're working so hard. <laughs> I got lucky this thing I set up. I'm like, I just have so much respect for what you yeah. do. Um, but it's been really cool. And, and, and the idea for us is, look, there's a lot of podcasts, you know, mm-hmm. and, and to me, like I love podcasts, you know, because you yes, can choose what you want to listen totally, to yep. and you get a lot time. of information in about 45 minutes mm-hmm. and you can stop and go and, <clears throat> excuse me, away you go. But for this one, for it's really about the idea is is it's not going to just be chefs or psalms or or managers or bartenders. It's hopefully what we do is we get people that are connected to our industry mm-hmm. that have other jobs. Um, you know, we have a fitness instructor, you know, that comes on and you know, and her connection to food and teaching her clients how to eat better. So oh, there, cool. there's always a connection to food somehow. Yeah. Um, but we, I really want people to tell their story, yeah. like how they got there. You know, um, you know, we do have bartenders, we do have we have influencers. We had a couple of influencers on there um, talking about what that life is like. Yeah. So, but it really, it all ends up back with food somehow yeah, or yeah. our restaurant, you know, right. business. Restaurant business. But it's really just people telling a story. I um, love the health, the health one. That's going to be good. You know, another one you should do, you should, you should have somebody come in and do, uh, it's just a suggestion. Yeah, absolutely. You should do like a finance for a restaurant. <clears throat> That's actually a great one. Like have great a guy one. come in and be like, listen, like you guys are making this amount of money. This is the best way to manage your finances. Because that's like one of the most important things that we don't get taught in school in a practical actually, way, right? I think I'm going to look into I that I think for a sure. lot of people would benefit from yeah. that, you know, in, yeah, in every position in the restaurant. Yeah, and I think for, for me is like finding those unique, that's a great one. You know, we had the fishermen from Tuna Harbor mm-hmm. on and just telling a story hopefully that people don't know right you know and 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 maybe hopefully people will understand the the struggles that we go through on a day-to-day basis to make it in this industry it's a tough tough industry and i don't want to sound like poor us you know but it is you know and and you're right when we talk about finances you know people don't understand you know oh yeah the restaurant's busy you must be rich I'm I'm driving a Prius, you know, I'm like struggling like everybody else, you know, and when you open a place, like there's a lot of factors that go into what we do. And I think that's, I think that's a great one. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, Obviously we haven't had a a Psalm one on yet, a wine guy yet. So we're going to get you on there for sure. I'm ready. Um, (laughs) Because again, we we do want to tell a little bit of the story of, of how someone gets to where they are. Mm -hmm. It's not so much about, you're a wine guy. Let's talk about wine. Sure. What's your favorite wine? Uh, right. In the end, yeah, it's great. You have favorite wine. We all do. But we want to tell the story of how you got to that. What yeah. struggles did you go through? How did you get there? What ups and downs did you have? Because to me, that's the most in- – there is a lot of struggle in our business. Mm-hmm. But people who fight through that, yeah. right, make it. Yeah. And I think that's what that's we have to showcase. the most interesting thing. Yeah. I mean, I haven't asked you one question about what's your favorite dish. I mean, there's obviously so much interesting content yeah. around that too. But – I feel like that's the same thing that gets me pumped is hearing there's so many great that's why i started this there's so many great stories out there that inspire you to stay in and like work through what you're in right now to get to that next level it is and it's an ever-changing business you got to evolve with it Mm -hmm. there's something new happening all the time there's a new restaurant opening every other day that's going to be taking your customers if you're not ahead of the game it just it's non-stop you know it really is and and we're always trying to be better you know you trying to do your master psalm and and you're, we're always trying to learn. Mm-hmm. And reality is, you know, look, that's dedication, what the time and effort you put into doing what you're doing. A lot of people don't know that story. Like, mm-hmm. why would you do that? That's right. the story I want to tell. Right, like, right. why do we go the extra mile to be great? 
Yeah. You know, just not, to be clear, I'm going for advanced right now. Sorry, master, advanced. I advanced, apologize. Which is still a beast. Yeah. Master, maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get on the master. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeing the future. <laughs> hey guys, thanks again for watching another episode of Hospitality TV. Please do not forget to follow Chef Jason's new podcast at Jason's. Uh, yeah, it's a tongue, tongue twister. twister. Jason's Shitty Chef Driven Podcast. <laughs> it's coming out soon in December. It's going to be awesome. Um, and as always, please do not forget to subscribe to the Hospitality TV podcast on iTunes and on Spotify. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Chef, thank you so Thanks much. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate Thanks you. Having me. Of course.